that was awesome. Praise God. All right, well, if you have a Bible, please take it, open it up to Psalm chapter 2. Psalm 2, we're in a series called Summer Songs, and we're working through uh, a few select psalms. I know you may not believe that right now, but this is the second week we're in Psalm 2, but here we go. We're in Psalm 2. Last week, we started with Psalm 1, and this entire series opened with the word blessed. This week, Psalm 2 ends with the word blessed, and that word means happy and whole, okay? And that's something that we don't see a whole lot of right now on the news, but that's what this psalm is about. And before I even really introduce this psalm to you, before I tell you what I think it means, I want you to read it for yourself, to feel it, and absorb what this psalm is introducing to us. So let's begin together by reading Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O king, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. All right, so if you're new to Psalm 2 and this is not a familiar passage of Scripture to you, you may be thinking right now, what was that? <laughs> what, what did I just hear? What is this even talking about? Nations raging, people's plotting in vain. Okay, that sounds a little familiar to the chaos that we're all experiencing right now. But this is a song, this Psalm 2 is a song about navigating hostility. And that's what we're in right now. That's where we find ourselves. There's chaos swirling around us in our world today. And, and we see this in verse 4 of, wait, He who sits in the heavens laughs. He holds them in derision. Uh, He speaks to them in his terrifying fury. We have a king smashing and breaking people. What even is this? Like, this is in the Bible, right? Well, if you're new to Doxa Church, let me explain something. You know, we're not a church that is going to take shortcuts on hard passages of Scripture. And if you read something in Scripture that isn't comfortable on first read, Uh, that's okay. That means we need to press in deeper into that, okay? Because the church shouldn't be a place where you have a glorified TED Talk with a Bible verse attached to it. There are are tough things in Scripture. There are difficult things that we don't um, don't always understand very easily. And if we ignore verses like that, and we ignore it like this and ignore hard topics, we are not doing ourselves a favor. When we don't address real deep-rooted heart issues as the church, and we don't do that for decades, the church is weakened and our culture suffers. And that's when we start seeing our society unravel. 
So here, we preach the whole counsel of the word of God. And, I, and, and we're not the only church that does that. That's not what I'm trying to say. But what I am saying is we're not going to back off and package something so that it fits a 21st century woke version of Jesus that makes us feel more comfortable. That's not what we're here to do. When we open up the Bible, we aren't shaving off any edges to get it to sound more palatable to us. If there's something that's more edgy about Jesus Christ, then that's something that we need to know about Jesus Christ, right? This is a passage that doesn't feel warm after first read, but we have to dive deeper into it because the chaos and the confusion and the hatred that is described in this chapter has always been around. And it always will be around until King Jesus returns and makes all things new. And so if we ignore passages of Scripture like this because they're difficult or confusing, and we don't apply the message of Psalm 2, we're going to actually start feeling more and more the effects of what Psalm 2 is actually describing. So Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, they are a complementary pair that each contain one of the two main themes of the book of Psalms. Psalm 1 is about God's law, and Psalm 2 is about God's anointed. And these are actually a pair. Like, if you go back to the earliest manuscripts, they were the same psalm. Okay, the early church even quotes Psalm 2, and they say Psalm 1 when they're quoting this psalm. So this is a song that the early church loved. In our local church that consists of you and I, we need the truth of this song today, just as the early church clung on to it in their desperate times. Every song is a reaction to an experience, right? Just think about that. If you're sad, you write a sad song. And when we're sad, we listen to sad songs. If you're angry, people write angry songs. If you're in love, I mean, Brian Garner, that man's in love. He's going to be getting married soon. He's writing happy love songs. Okay, we all write songs that are a reaction to what we're feeling. And King David, the author of Psalm 2, was the best songwriter. Because unlike Coldplay that just has the market on sad, you know, breakup songs, or, or Taylor Swift that has the market on one particular type of song, this song right here, Song 2, has a lot of different elements. I know I'm hopefully waking you up now. But King David is talking about, he's talking about anger. He's talking about hope. He's talking about personal responsibility and sadness. All of these things are going on as a reaction. And the early church loved this psalm almost more than any other psalm. It's quoted more in the New Testament than any other psalm in the New Testament. It's because they were feeling chaos swirling around them. They were feeling hostility. And they knew what this song was about. They figured it out. This song is about taking refuge from the chaos by sheltering in Jesus Christ. That's what Psalm 2 is going to teach us. And you can handle the stress of the world that feels out of control when you get that truth. Take your refuge and your shelter in Jesus Christ. So what do you do when you don't feel safe? There's a lot of people who don't feel safe right now. How can you manage the fears of not feeling like you can trust authority? What's going to dominate the headlines in another couple months? Really, I don't know. It's probably not going to be good, though, the way we're headed. What's November going to look like? What's our country going to look like for our kids and our grandkids? There's a lot of different fears that different people from different spheres of life are feeling right now. And this song is a reaction to conquering those kinds of fears. So there are four movements in Psalm 2. And today's message isn't going to be the usual message where we just have three simple action points because we're not in 
a New Testament letter that's, that's full of doctrine and application like Psalms. We're not in a narrative story like Jonah. We're actually in poetry. So this is going to sound a lot different. But there's four movements, and in these four movements, the, third, uh, the fourth movement has three applicational action points for you and I. So are you ready to dive into the psalm? Can you say, let's go, if you're ready? Let's go. All right, let's do it. Movement one is verses one through three, and this is man resists. I'm going to read one through three one more time for you. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. So what is going on in the context? In this first movement, the narrator is setting the stage by quoting the rebellious rulers of the world at the time. And he's asking the question, why engage in something as useless as trying to overthrow God's anointed? Now, the $1,000 question is, okay, well, who is this anointed king? All right? Is this a specific king at a specific time? And the nation of Israel, when this was written, most likely was in a very vulnerable position. There's a whole school of thought that says they are in this transfer of power. And at this time, during a transfer of power, the king would make a royal decree, a coronation psalm. And the nations surrounding Israel were supposed to accept that. But that's not what was happening at the time. The Ammonites, the Philistines, the Moabites, all these Gentile nations were ruthlessly against the king. Now, that's probably what was happening in the immediate context when this psalm was written. That fits with the climate of what we know about the surrounding nations. Because God's chosen people, the Israelites, were given land at the very center of the earth. And they were, their whole purpose was to make God known to the world. They were in the middle of three major continents the same place that it is today. And God's purpose with his chosen people at the time, the Israelites, was the same as his purpose for his people right now, the church. And that was to make them a kingdom of priests. Priests are people who connect other people to God. And the Israelites were given the law of God. They had the authoritative word, the truth of who God was and how this world operates at its fullest potential. They were strategically placed in a position where they could show with their lives the truth of the glory of God. And how he wanted people to love. They were to promote peacefulness. They were to show and display human flourishing. That's what the Israelites were there for. They were meant to teach the nations about God. But as this was written, no matter who the anointed was, we, this we know for sure. God's people were surrounded by drama. And the world system does not want to worship God. They don't care about showing his glory, the truth of who he is. They want to cast off the restraint. And that's what you see described here in verse 2. They looked at morality as restricting, as a restricting cord that bound them up from being who they wanted to be and doing what they wanted to do. And when people with power don't want to be limited with any moral restraint, that is a terrifying thing. It's a very scary thing. But in Psalm Two, as this was written, was this written about David's transfer of power? Maybe, probably. But the heathen nations surrounding him, this is more than just about that physical moment from the past in time. There's much more than that going on. Psalm 2 is about something that never happened with the kingdom of Israel. Because when you look at all four movements and you see movement 3, which is verses 7 through 9, that hasn't happened yet. Okay? 
And the reason why this psalm is so beloved by the early church and the reason it's so relevant for us today is that it's because it's a messianic psalm. It's about the future descendant of the Davidic line, our Savior, King Jesus. And when you understand the the verses 7 through 9 that are actually quoted in the book of Hebrews, just like the early church understood that this is about Jesus, you see that the word anointed here is the same Hebrew word that's translated in the Greek as the Christ. So this song isn't just about an ancient conflict. This is an expression of the rebellion of the human heart against God that has always been and always will be, if not for the grace of God. Mankind in our fallen, sinful nature resists the rule and the lordship of Jesus Christ. So I'm with C.H. Spurgeon when he said we have in the first three verses a description of the hatred of the human nature against the Christ of God. That's what we have here. Man is perpetually in that resistance. We can see it today in the injustice and the violence in our country as clear as ever. Countries don't just get destabilized when protests turn into riots, and not just because of infiltration of twisted groups either. It goes way deeper than that. It's the individual heart that resists God's way, and they go down their path in opposition to the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord is true reality, just like we saw last week with Psalm 1. So you need to understand and see that this isn't just national raging, but that people's plot in vain because a systemic problem is the result of collective individual problems. And that's not a controversial statement. That's just straight from the Bible. We're going to zoom in now from the nation's raging to the individual for a minute. We have to get personal about this, okay? What's happening in our country is, is, is awful, There's a lot of unrest, but we can't just blame problems on the government. It does no good to just point fingers at the corruption that we see in leadership. For you to get what you need to get out of this message, you have to personalize it. We all crave justice, and when we see a human life taken unnecessarily, we know instantly that that's wrong. It's horrible. That's the image of God that's written in our hearts that tells us that that's wrong. But people, apart from God, want to live in their own alternate reality, whatever feels good to them. And without Christ, it's impossible to be consistent with your desires for justice. I have yet to hear one person say what happened to George Floyd was okay. No one says that. You'd have to be insane to say that. It was horrible. It was broken and it was evil. But many of the same people that stand in solidarity with the black community against racism are the same people who sadistically test vaccines on African-American children in Africa. It's the same people. They're not consistent. Planned Parenthood, which trumpets the BLM, is the same organization that's founded by Margaret Sanger that has been murdering black babies for decades through abortion. Do you see what's going on in the world? We have to step back for a minute. Okay, who's to say that all of humankind is equal? Who's to say that if it wasn't for what we know to be true in God's word? Maybe people aren't equal. The only reason we know that is because it's written in our hearts and God reveals that to us in his word. If it wasn't for what he has revealed to us and that he made every man, woman, and child in his image, we couldn't say that. 
Who's to say that women aren't superior to men? I know we just flipped the table there a little bit, but there's a lot of ladies who believe that. There's a lot of people that believe women are superior to men. And who's to say they're not right? If it wasn't for the fact that the Bible says men and women are equal. We get our authority, we get truth from God's word. And the same people who can cry out for equality for women can become bitter to the point that they build up hatred for men. That's the inconsistency that we have in the world. Same thing with races. Who's to say they're not better? Some aren't better than others if it wasn't for God and what he reveals. We have to think about how inconsistent people are when they rage. They can be upset at one human for disrespecting the value of another human, and in an instant, they can devalue another human by looking at his or her body as an object of lust. You can cry out against hatred that you see from someone else, and in the exact same time, emanate hatred in your heart for one of your neighbors that doesn't agree with you. This is the world that we live in. And if you just leave it there, it's pretty scary, and there's not a lot of hope. The truth here, though, is that we see in God's word that is if you take God out of the picture, who's to say one perspective is better than the other? We need hope. We need a source of truth. We can't follow the raging mob. They're the same people that said slavery was okay 200 years ago. They're always shifting. It's always changing. We have to wake up and see that racism is a problem. It is is still a problem, and it will always be a problem. Every people group throughout history of the world has had a portion of their society look down on people who are different than them. And that's not an excuse for anything. That's just the reality of the sinful human heart. Racism is a problem in the individual heart. And racism isn't going to be solved by a systemic change or a new political policy. You can cry out about systemic problems all you want, but the only way you're going to see a lasting difference is to have the individual heart changed by the by the grace of Jesus Christ. And Christians, when we have our hearts changed and we infect other people and we, and we show love to other people and, and God changes them, we can then use our platforms. By all means, then we start using our platforms wherever we're at to start changing things. But it all starts, it goes back to God changing the individual heart through Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter if you're black, white, or any color in between, you have to make the personal choice to love. And I love that the Bible does teach us that all races are equal. In the Bible, we even see in the book of Revelation that you will maintain your cultural national identity all the way into the new earth for eternity. God is not colorblind. Our world is in chaos and our society is being rocked right now. The kings of the earth are setting themselves up. They are taking you know, talking together against the Lord, against his anointed, but the only answer to the hatred that we see is the love of Jesus Christ. That's the answer. I didn't say anger was a problem. Righteous indignation is a good thing, and God can use that. But if there's not a heart change, it's nothing but spitting in the wind. And we have to get that, church. So we're in the midst of chaos. I'm feeling it. You're feeling it. I have pastor friends of mine who are becoming disunified because they're looking at what's going on in the news, and they're arguing about it. The only way to see change is to get the message of the rest of this chapter. And the next movement, movement two, tells us where to look. It's to look up. Movement two is God laughs. That's verses four through six. So in the midst of all the things that scare us to death and we have no control over, this is who is in control. Verse four, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. 
Then he will speak to him in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. So now the speaker is no longer man. Now the speaker is God the Father. And here's God's response to man's resistance. It's a joke. It's, it's literally a, it's not a laugh at the rebellion itself. It's the humorous kind of laugh. This is the kind of laugh where, you know, if I could illustrate this, you know, your toddler doesn't want their diaper changed, okay? Have, has any parent ever been there where the toddler is just not going to have it? They have that look on their face. Oh, you will not change my diaper right now. I'm going to kick. I'm going to scream. I'm going to do everything I can. And you're just going to like, <laughs> how cute is this? I'm going to change your diaper anyway. <laughs> you cannot stop me. I'm an adult. <laughs> That's the kind of laugh here. So God's reaction to the haughty word of these pygmy human rulers is a complete brush off. It's a laugh of derision. You have no idea who you're dealing with. But here's the comforting thought for all of us. In the uncertainties of this world, the besitting sins inside of you, the abuse of the authorities that seem so scary to us, God is so much stronger, he laughs at that. What makes us tremble makes him chuckle. It's like the seven-year-old. You know, they can terrorize a four-year-old. They can just bully them. You know, I have a seven-year-old and I have a four-year-old, all right? I understand this. But if you're the parent, you can just put your palm on that, on that kid's forehead. He can swing all he wants. He can be upset, but he can't go anywhere because you're in control of that, and you can hold him back. Now, look at verse 5 again. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying... So he's going to speak a word here. He's going to judge injustice. But the word is not, I'm going to kill you, fools. What is it in verse 6? As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. It's an invitation to restoration. And we can all put our smile on our face because that is our God. And there's hope right there. Let's keep going. Movement three is Jesus reigns, verses seven through nine. Verse seven, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Here's the anointed Messiah speaking now. God the Father is establishing a king. He has all the power and this, this showdown is literally a piece of pottery versus a piece of iron. Who's going to win? Pottery or iron? Ten out of ten times. The rod of iron, okay? The clay pot has nothing on that. It's all you have to do is drop a clay pot and it'll break. It is not going to withstand the iron coming at it. There's no scenario where it's going to win. And again, this sounds like he, he's building up to a crushing fight. I mean, can't you just see the wrestler cr climbing up on top of the, of the post? He's ready to just jump down and pile drive this opponent into the ground. That's what it feels like right now. And make no mistake, Jesus is going to judge the wicked with a rod of iron. We see that in the final book of Revelation. Psalm 2 is all throughout Revelation. But before that happens, in his patience, in his loving kindness, this is what we get instead. And it's the fourth movement, verses 10 through 12. It's a gentle warning. Look, verse 10. Movement four. 
Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Movement four is where this really gets personal. In this piece of poetry, in this song, we have four movements. And now reconciliation is being offered. And this is a warning. He's not, he's not crushing anyone yet. The warning is still out here for you and I. It's a warning filled with grace. And the author of this song is pleading with the raging people, don't pick this fight. Stop rebelling. Don't press in the way you were going. How do you escape the wrath of God? It's not by running away from God. It's by running to God through his Savior, Jesus Christ. So why did the New Testament church quote this psalm so much? Are you starting to see it? Why did they love Psalm 2? As I alluded to earlier, the king in the Old Testament was meant to rise up, to write out the words of the heart of God and to lead the nations to love one another. And that never really happened. Nations raged against them, and the kings of Israel fell apart. They failed. So Psalm 2 was never realized in an earthly sense. God warned the children of Israel over and over again, if people don't repent, you're going to lose the kingdom. And that's what happened. Their potential was never fully realized. And the Old Testament ends with God's people, the Jewish people in captivity, the Roman occupiers. They never really blessed the nations the way they could have, the way God planned for them to do it. The chaos around them engulfed them. The prophets began to speak of a new anointed one. An anointed one in the Hebrew is Messiah. And translated into the Greek, again, it's Christ. Christ the Messiah would bring peace instead of the chaos. And when the Gospels were written, they made it very clear that Jesus Christ was this Messiah. When he's on the scene, you can see he's baptized. There's a voice from heaven that says, Behold, this is my son in who I am pleased. In the middle of Jesus' ministry, he's on the Mount of Olives, this, this transfiguration that happens where he starts glowing. And again, you hear a voice from heaven saying, This is my son. When Paul writes the book of Romans and he introduces it, he says, look, Jesus Christ proved that he was the son of God by being buried and rising to newness of life. That's our savior, Jesus Christ. And this psalm is what motivated the early church to do bold things. They took refuge from the chaos around them by sheltering in their savior, Jesus Christ. And I want, to see, I want you to see one of these stories, okay? Turn to Acts 4. Here's one of the parts in the New Testament, one of the places that we see the early church rallying around the battle cry of Psalm 2. Look at verse 13. So Peter and John have just healed a man, a lame man, and they got thrown in jail. I'm going to just read this whole, like from 13 to 31, because I want you to feel this whole story, Okay. Verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and they perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. These are the rulers that threw them in jail. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. 
But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. Verse 17. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in the name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is, the, is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, again, this is the early church having a prayer meeting in a home. Look what happens. Verse 24, when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves. The rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. They saw that the anointed king in Psalm 2 was Jesus Christ. It clicked. And they sang this song. For truly in this city were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which where they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The early church, they took refuge from the chaos around them, the persecution, by sheltering in the anointed Messiah, Jesus Christ. The Son of God stepped into our chaos and saved us from the wrath of God. And that's why this psalm ends with blessed are all who take refuge in him. You can do that today. Jesus offers a place of shelter and refuge from the scary world that's full of hate. And you're not gonna find peace by trying to appease the angry mob. No matter what you say, they're gonna find something that, that gets them angry. That's the way the world works. For those who want to turn away from the path of evil and hatred and bitterness, how do you get refuge? By running to Jesus Christ. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So we've gone through the four movements. We've seen them. But remember I told you we were going to see three applicational points from the fourth movement. There's three specific ways that you respond to the king. This is everything to do with how you handle the stress of the raging hatred around you. So let's, let's set aside the whole like singing part for a minute because we're gonna sing in a second. That's why we sing in church. When we sing truth of who he is, it's amazing. We're gonna do that. The early church did that. 
But Psalm 2 spells out your personal application. Look again at verse 11. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So there's your three points. Serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling, and kiss the Son. This is how you take refuge from chaos by sheltering in Jesus. God will judge the injustices of this world. That's going to happen. And praise God for that. Thank him for that. I am so glad that it's up to him to judge that. Now, he's going to use us for sure. He's going to use us to carry that out in some ways. But in the end, he's going to make it happen. He is long-suffering. And when it's time for judgment, his wrath will be quickly kindled. He, he waits and waits. He gives chance after chance after chance. But when it's time for judgment, judgment is going to come because he is just. And he will not let unrighteousness and injustice go unpunished. But what are we left with? Serve the Lord with fear. This means that you respect and honor his unique holiness. You don't serve yourself, you serve the Lord. And how do you serve the Lord? Remember the two greatest commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's serving the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. You look at the world around you, and you're not scared about what they're going to do to you. They can't do anything to you that God won't allow. They could ruin the physical and the temporal. They could burn your business. They could personally harm you. You could be abused. But those people will pay. And you can still rejoice in the goodness and the justice of God. And you can still rejoice in your personal salvation if you have that. And at the same time, you can have compassion on their weary soul. That's rejoicing with trembling. Have genuine concern for their lostness. Don't tremble about what they can do to you. Your refuge is in the Almighty God, but you do tremble for their end. And finally, and ultimately, you kiss the Son. This is King Jesus. In grateful, loving submission, turn from your old way, and in humility, bow before your Messiah, your Savior, Jesus Christ. Worship team, you can come up right here. And did you notice that in the four movements, the narrator gives us four voices? We got man resisting, we got God laughing, Jesus reigning, and then there was this gentle warning, right? But think for a minute, who is the fourth voice in movement four? Acts four shows us that the early church believed this narrator and author was King David. And Acts 4.25 gives us another cue specifically about who that narrator is. <laughs> I love the old commentator, Henry Ironsides. He pastored Muti Church in the 1920s all the way up through World War II, a man who knew what hostility and, and, and chaos was like. He pointed out that the fourth voice is the voice of the Holy Spirit. The world speaks in movement one, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Just think about that. The Holy Spirit is the one that's moving through King David to write this song. Why wouldn't this fourth voice be the third person of the Trinity? It's the role of the Holy Spirit to draw us to Jesus Christ, the Son, which is exactly what the narrator is doing here. This gentle, loving, tender voice in movement four is the Holy Spirit. That's the narrator. Are you listening to the narrator? 
of this whole world, the Holy Spirit who is drawing you. So if you didn't like my, mo- my wording and my four movements, I didn't like my wording very much either, all right? I, I'm gonna do a run back on that. Man resists, God laughs, Jesus reigns, and the Holy Spirit draws. He draws us to himself. If you don't know God today, please listen to what the Holy Spirit is telling you right now. You don't have to fear. You don't have to tremble. You don't have to worry. Have you kissed the sun? That's where it begins. That's the only way you find refuge, and it's the only way you can be happy and whole. Blessed is the one, all who take refuge in him. While the world is raging and burning all around you, our country is in a transitional time. It really is. Things are changing fast. Some of these things are good. Some of these things aren't good. It's probably going to continue to happen. And you can get so overwhelmed by the 24-hour news cycle that's blaring at you. You can get fired up at the arguments that are going on on social media. This is nothing new, but it is. The stakes are being raised right now. And these things have nothing on our king and our God who laughs in derision at what these other people are trying to plot. King Jesus has you in the palm of his hands. And we are at a critical time as a church, as a nation, as Jesus followers, and we can't keep doing the same thing. We cannot keep sleeping at the wheel. We have to wake up as things are burning around us. Wake up and make changes. Find your refuge in Jesus Christ. Take shelter from the storm in him, and then you'll be bold enough, just like Peter and John, just like the early church in Acts 4, and go out and do something about it through love. Take refuge from the chaos by sheltering in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we do not want to just end this message, walk away today without being changed. I know we talked about a lot of complicated things here, Lord. May nothing I say distract from your message in this psalm. We need you right now. We need your presence. We need your strength. We need your peace because we don't have it anywhere else. It's not coming from all these other sources that used to give us comfort. It's just not happening right now. Lord, don't let us continue to do the same thing year after year after year, month after month, day after day, and expect a different result. We need to change some things in our country, in ourselves. And we know it starts when our heart gets aligned with who you are. And we see the truth of who you are. And we allow that to change us into a person who loves every person who comes across our way. And then may may we speak boldly and do whatever you, you bring across our path whether that's where you work, whether that's in government, whether that's in the workforce, wherever that is, Lord, may we bring about systemic change by our own individual heart change. We can solve this problem when we love others because you have loved us first. Thank you for that, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing.
Fulfill 